52 through 53 called the servant? Well, because these 11 chapters, you see that this mysterious servant emerges. And then the things that are said about the servant in these chapters, and the things that this servant is going to do, it's mind-boggling. In fact, there are four places in Isaiah 42 and 53 where the things that are said about this mysterious servant come into clear focus. And these four places are called the servant songs. Hopefully you uh, received that at the door when you came in today um, because I want you to know these four songs because not only does Isaiah 52 through 53 hang on these four songs, but I can push this further. I think the whole Bible hangs on these four songs. The servant songs of Isaiah 42 through 53. In fact, my challenge to you as we approach Christmas, today we'll look at the first song, is that each day you will read and meditate on these four songs. So today we're going to look at the first song, and it begins with these words in verse 1, here is my servant. Or better yet, here is my slave, my chosen slave. Who is saying this? God is. God is saying this through Isaiah. Who is he saying this about? My servant, my slave. Well, this is a bit of a mystery because several times in Isaiah 52 through 50, or 42 through 53, God is going to say, you, Israel, are my servant. In fact, look at the second song. Isaiah 49, verse 3. I love it. So you guys have those. I'm glad you, you, you took the hand out. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my, my splendor. And we know this. We know that, that Israel's God's chosen one, that they've been chosen by God to put God on display so the world could know God through them. They're blessed to be a blessing. In fact, Jews in our day today understand the servant to be them. They say Isaiah 42 through 53 and talking about the servant is talking about Jews. But here's the deal. As you continue through the songs, you're going to see that this mysterious servant, the one who's going to do something amazing, he's actually going to restore Israel. He's going to bring Israel back, which means the servant is someone other than Israel. And this is why then Jews around the time of Jesus, they simply translated the word servant as Messiah. In fact, in one of their oldest translations of, of Messiah, verse 1 reads this way. Here is my Messiah whom I uphold. So as you're studying uh, these songs this week, every time you see the word servant, you can just translate that as Messiah. Now already I hope you're feeling this intense paradox. Because Messiah is going to be God's king, God's ultimate king, the one with all 
the power. And look what he's called. Servant. Slave. I mean, isn't this what we call an oxymoron? The absolute highest one is going to become the lowest. The absolute greatest will be the least. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love this quality in people. I love it. I love when I see someone who our world would call great, and they act like they're quite small. I love to see people who we call great hanging out with people that we would consider to be small, the little people, living with them, doing life with them, taking advice from them, serving them. And when you and I see this, I want you to know this is only the dimmest hint of what Messiah will be. The one with all the power, all the power. A slave. A slave. Now what will the servant accomplish? Well, God says this. He says, I will put my spirit on him. And then in our text today, three times he says that he will bring justice. You see it in verse 1. You see it in verse 3. You see it in verse 4. What is justice? Well, justice is simply taking a wrong, whatever wrong that is, and it's making it right. And I think when we think justice, justice usually takes the form of punishment. For instance, after 9-11, we oftentimes heard people say that we're going to bring them to justice. I mean, you fly planes into our buildings, and we're going to punish you. But the Hebrew word for justice, in fact, it's the word mishpat, mishpat includes this notion of punishment, but it's so much bigger than that. It's not just punitive, but it's restorative. So it's not God just making everything right through punishment, but it's God making things right through healing and through restoring. So for instance, think about 9-11. You can punish that evil to your blue in the face, right? But does that all of a sudden make everything right? No, because you're still left with the ache in families who will never get back what they lost. And so mishpat is this hope that God not only will punish evil, but that his justice will actually restore and heal everything that's gone wrong. And that's an awesome reality. In fact, the synonym of of mishpat is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom is everything as it is supposed to be. Everything in perfect harmony. It's everything in right relationship with everything else. In fact, this is what made the Garden of Eden a paradise. Everything was in right relationship. Adam and Eve were in right relationship with each other. Adam and Eve were in right relationship to themselves. Adam and Eve were in right relationship to the whole creation order. All of creation was in right relationship. And this is all predicated on the fact that Adam and Eve are, first of all, in right relationship with God. And see, when the relationship with God is broken, the whole thing falls back into chaos. Ask yourself, 
What is cancer? What is heart disease? What is aging? What is death? It's the loss of harmony. Things are not in right relationship to each other. Same with divorce. Same with family breakdowns. Same with racism. Same with all the hatred that exists. Same with the violence, trafficking, wars, rumors of wars. It's people and nations and entities not in right relationship. And here's the deal. You might ask, why are we talking about this on Christmas? Because the Bible never sugarcoats reality. The Bible teaches us that we live in a broken, messed up world. And tell me, do I have to convince you of that today? I mean, you look at our world from the poverty to racism to all the violence to the human trafficking to the wars and the conflicts, there is absolutely no harmony. It's broken. Look at our country. It's broken. In fact, it feels broken at every level. You see it in our neighborhoods. You see it in our schools. You see it in our families, in our marriages today. You see it in people's lives. We absolutely need healing. We need it. In fact, I I, I even feel with, with this recent school shooting that a new level of despair has now entered our, our, our psyche because here we are. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't figure out the problem to evil. And see, the Bible says, I mean, this is the, this is the hope of God's word, that God is going to bring the world to justice And that doesn't mean he's just going to punish it, but he's going to heal it. He's going to restore it. He's going to heal everything that ails us. All sin and evil. All sickness and disease. You know how he's going to do it? Through his servant. The servant. In fact, if you actually knew the context in which Isaiah is writing this, I can't believe Isaiah actually has the audacity to, to give them this hope because he's writing this just after Assyria, this mighty superpower, has come in with the world's greatest army and he has laid to waste their towns, their villages. Only Jerusalem was spared and thousands upon thousands of their people were cruelly tortured and killed. And as this land lies in utter ruin, as as its people have been devastated and humiliated, Isaiah actually has the audacity to say that God's servant will one day come and he will restore it all. He's going to heal everything. In fact, I love how how God is going to put this through Isaiah in the second song, and hopefully you'll read it this, this week. He says, is it too small a thing for my servant to restore You, Israel, is it? Is it too small of a thing? And and, and not just you, Israel, but let me keep pushing this further because if that's all you expect, it's going to be so much more than that. That my salvation 
In Hebrew, my Yeshua. In English, my Jesus will reach the ends of the earth. And that's the hope of Christmas. That God's servant came, his Yeshua, his salvation, and that his salvation and his justice right now is being worked into his creation. It's being worked into people. And one day, his, his, his justice will be established throughout all the earth. He is going to restore and heal all things. That's why in places like Psalm 98, when God says, when I come and judge the earth, the seas are going to roll, roar, the, the rivers are going to clap their hands, the mountains are going to sing for joy, all creation will dance because God is going to come. He's going to make everything right. You know what that, this means for us right now? Because hopefully right now you, you want to dance, you want to sing, you want to shout, you want to clap. You know, we all love to open the, that, that gift at Christmas where you think it's one thing, and then as you're opening it and you see what it, what it, what it is, you're like, wow. It's, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Well, imagine this Christmas if you're opening gifts. And let's say you have cancer right now. And what if the gift you open was the healing for that cancer? Or what if this Christmas, one of the gifts that, 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 that you got to receive, and you're, you're, you're in an utterly broken marriage right now, and the gift actually was the gift of a restored marriage? Or what if you've had this lifelong addiction, something that you just can't break, and it's just bringing... Uh, so much despair and hurt to you and to the people around you. What if one of the gifts that you open was a healing to that addiction? Or dare we hope? What if you've lost someone who means so much to you and one of the gifts that you open was to have him or her back? Is it too small a thing? Is it? Because this is the hope of Christmas, that one day, everything that has gone wrong will be made right through the servant. Now let me end with this. How is the servant going to do this? How is he going to accomplish this? Well, I love what it, how, how it describes him in verse 2. It says, He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Um, he, he, he's hardly going to be noticed when he comes. He, he, he's not going to have a big platform like that of an emperor or a pharaoh. He's going to be grossly understated. And then look at the servant's heart. A bruised reed, he will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Do you see the imagery? Do you see that grain stalk with its nice head of grain on it, but someone came by and just clipped it, and there it is, just broken. 
And once a grain stalk is broken, it's done for. It's finished. It's no good. It's worthless. But see, this is the servant's heart. A bruised reed he will not break. And see, when you and I think, when we think bruise, we just kind of think a minor injury. Oh, it's just a bruise. But the word for bruised here is translated often as crushed. And it refers to this devastating death blow. Here's the deal. The servant comes for the bruised. He comes for the weak. He comes for the fragile. He comes for the broken. He comes for the devastated, for the humiliated, for those who are in chaos. That's who he comes for. For those whose flame is barely flickering. And I don't know what I portray to you guys all the time. But when I see this, 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 this flame that's, that's barely flickering, about ready to go out, I feel like, boy, that's, that's such a picture of me. I mean, I might be able to look pretty good and, and, and portray that, that, that my life is pretty stable and secure. But you know, when I read this, this flame that's about ready to go out, the older I get, the more that's what I feel. The older I get, the more fragile I feel, the more fragile I sense my life is, the more weak I feel. And I know that's how you as well feel because we are fragile. We, we are broken. We're, we're, we're more desperate, all of us, than we care to admit sometimes. In fact, I think Henry David Thoreau said it best. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. <laughs> and look at the funny game we play. Like, I'm going to prove to you that I'm not desperate, and you're going to prove to me that you're not desperate. But in the end, we all lead lives of quiet desperation. We're broken. But the servant comes for the desperate. He comes for the bruised. He comes for the crushed. In fact, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, when he comes, he will not falter or be discouraged. The word for falter there is the same word for bruised. The word for discouraged is the same word for snuff out. In other words, here are the first hints that the servant himself, when he comes, he's going to be bruised. He's going to be snuffed out. And see, now the servant has actually been placed in one of the main themes of the Bible. One of the main themes of the Bible is bruising. This goes all the way back to Genesis 3, because immediately following Adam and Eve's rebellion towards God, which left the whole creation in utter ruin, God gives the first glimmer of hope. In Genesis 3, verse 15, it's oftentimes called the Proto-Evangelium, which means in Latin, the first gospel. This is the first gospel that's ever preached, and it's preached by God, and it's preached to Satan. And God says to Satan that Eve is going to produce a seed, a son, and this son is going to crush your head, Satan, but you're going to bruise him. And see, from the very beginning, God has, has been promising this, that through Messiah, One day he's going to come and he's going to crush evil once and for all. And he's going to make everything right. 
but it's not going to be without cost because Satan will bruise him. A death blow will be delivered. In fact, as you're reading these four servant songs, by the time you get to the fourth and final servant song, the, the fourth one begins this way. See, my servant will act wisely. Or if you want a better translation, it says this. My servant will succeed. He's going to be high and lifted up. And you keep reading and you see how the servant is going to succeed. And it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that brings us shalom is going to be placed on him because by his wounds we are healed. Here's the deal. Jesus, why did he do it? Jesus was born to die. To die on a cross. Because this is God's way of dealing with evil once and for all. God is going to crush evil by being crushed. It's in being wounded that the woundedness of our world is going to be healed. The servant is going to be bruised so that all your bruises and all my bruises will be made whole. Think for a moment about your bruises, your wounds, your scars, because we all have them. I've been wounded, and I've wounded others. I, I, I've put scars in my life, and I've, I've scarred other people. And the, the things that I have done deserve punishment. Punitive justice. But the servant came to the world, and he took on flesh and blood so that he could take upon himself the punishment so that, you know what I get? What we get? We get the healing. He took the punitive justice so that you and I get the restorative justice of God. He was forsaken and cut off from God so that, you know what God can say about us? The same thing God says about his servant. You are my chosen one in whom I delight. This is the hope of Christmas. In fact, in Matthew 12, Matthew's going to take these verses, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, and he's going to apply these verses to Jesus. He's going to say, Jesus is the servant. And what you notice when you go there in Matthew 12 is the verse right before it. It says, and they brought everyone to Jesus, and he healed them. And the verse after this says, and there was a demonic, a demon-possessed man, and they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Because that's why Jesus came to the world. He came to the world to heal. To heal. And some of you are there today. Some of you need Jesus to show up in your life right now and heal. It could be your marriage. You need your marriage right now. It's broken. You need for Jesus to heal it. It, it, it could be your family right now. Your, your family could just be utterly broken. And you, you need Jesus to show up and, he, and heal it. It could be the shame and humiliation that you're feeling from things that you've done. It could be despair and discouragement. It could be this addiction that you just can't seem to win. 
And here's the thing that I've noticed about Christmas. When it comes to Christmas, there is something about this season that makes us feel our need. As we're all trying to prove our prosperity, it exposes our poverty. It exposes our brokenness. Some of you are there today. You're in this desperate place. You need God to show up and to heal you and to restore your brokenness. You know what? If that's you today, I want you to stand right now. And I want you to know, I am not asking you to stand to embarrass you in any way right now because you are in a church that calls itself the church of the desperate ones. We're all desperate, okay? But I've noticed something in the Gospels. I've noticed the people that get the healing of Jesus are people who go public with their need. And here's the deal. I, I, I don't know how all of this works. I, I don't know if, if for some of you right now that God is going to touch you and give you his healing now. Or, or sometimes God just says, you know what, you're going to have to wait until, until I come again to, to bring about my final justice to earth. But here is what I know right now. I absolutely know it. That God can heal the root of everything that ails you right now. He can heal your heart. He can bring you back to himself so you can have the relationship that you are made for. The creator of the universe absolutely loves you. And he came to this world for you to heal you. I want to pray for you right now. And maybe some of you want to stand right now to stand in the gap for someone else right now that, that, that you just know needs healing and you want to stand in the gap on behalf of them. Please stand. The rest of you stay seated and I'm going to pray. God, we're not here to just sing some Christmas songs and hear a Christmas sermon. We're here to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Because we absolutely know And you came to this world because you love us. And you came to heal us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that none of us would be too proud to be healed by you. Jesus, you say over and over again through your word that all we need is need. The only thing we can give to you, the only thing that we can offer to you is our need and our dependence on you, Lord. And for the people who are standing today, Lord, they're standing because they're offering to you their need. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring life, healing, that you would restore what is broken in your time, in your way, for the glory of Christ. All God's people said, Amen.